Tonight's Bible reading comes from 1 Corinthians 7, verses 25 to 40, um, and can be found on page 927 of the Pew Bibles in front of you. Now, about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who, by the Lord's mercy, is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it was not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs. How can he please the Lord? But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way, in an undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honourably towards the, the virgin he is engaged to, and if his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. Then they should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion, but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must be belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is, and I think that I too have the spirit of God. Hello again, Hello again everybody. Please do have that part of God's word open in front of you as we explore it together. Uh, we've looked through the, the front half of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're obviously here. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dig into this part of God's word together. Our good and our gracious God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how you wrote it through Paul in this case, but it is your word. And so as we come to look at it together, as I preach, may my words be yours, and you work in and through our hearts by your spirit, whether we're in the room or across the screen. Please remove any of these distractions, the unhelpful thoughts that may fill our mind. I fill us with you that we may grow more into likeness of Christ as a result of engaging with your word tonight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So tonight we are exploring this passage in 1 Corinthians 7 and it is predominantly about singleness. Uh, it's not a complete unpacking or theology and what singleness is, is about or is and all the joys and complexities that go along with that. We're fundamentally going to explore 1 Corinthians 7, but it, its topic is singleness. 
And I think this section is really helpful for us. In some sense, it's going to be a very inspiring part of God's Word, encouraging. It may also be challenging, inspiring and correcting in the, in the sense of what it means for ourselves and also what it means for those among us, whether we are single or whether we are not. Now, for those of us here in this service, the 6 p.m. at Nawi, I don't know how many of you think of what percentage of us are single. Two-thirds. I don't know if that's what came to your mind, but two-thirds of us are single or not yet married. Uh, we might be dating or whatever, but I'm not sure if that is surprising. But it means directly this passage is applicable to a lot of us. However, this passage is also very applicable to every single one of us in the church. Whatever, if we're married or not, uh, single, whatever it may be. The first reason for that, and there's no nice way to say this, is that even if you are married, we are married, at least half of us won't be at some point again in our life. Either due to bereavement or due to separation, at least half of us will not be and will be single again. But more important than that, as we talk about singleness, it's extremely important because as a church, we are a body. We are a body of people. And what happens to one part of the body affects another part of the body. We have an interest in one another. Now, I play soccer. I play for Pegasus United. If you saw Deb in the Coffee Before Church, she was repping the Pegasus United attire. Go, Deb. But then uh, last week, I copped a, a good hit to my knee. And it was, a good, it was a good hit, but by 9 o'clock in the evening, I was struggling to walk. It was very, very painful. And so when I'd go to move it, my mouth would scream in pain. My other hand would go and grab my knee. My other leg would start jumping. My eyes would grimace. Right? When you're in pain, that's what happens. And the point of that is one small part of my body was feeling it, but the rest of my body participated. And so for us as the people of God, what because we're all different but united, what happens to one of us affects, or one part of the body affects all of the body. That means if you are married, you have a stake in the lives of the people who are single here and their health. If you are single, you have a stake in the lives of the marriages and that they are healthy for the people here in our church. We need to pray for each other, care for each other, walk beside each other, help disciple one another into the likeness of Jesus. And this passage helps us uh, in that regard. Now, we're talking about singleness. The guy who wrote it named Paul, at least at this point in his life and for all the parts that we know about, he is a single man. You know me, I'm not. Um, I'm married. I've been married for what, 10 years in December. And so the last time I was genuinely single, uh, not even dating was in my teenage years. And I say that because I recognize that I haven't personally experienced uh, singleness as an adult. Now, that doesn't mean that I can't speak on it, but I've had the joy and the privilege of chatting to a number of you this week um, and across the last two years of me being a pastor here. And I'm thankful for the way that you've shared with me, those who are single, what some of the joys, some of the challenges, the opportunities, uh, the struggles that it is uh, to be single. So I'm thankful to you. I won't mention you by name or anything like that, but, but thank you for your insights and your humility there. And I'm also thankful for a number of people who I've read this week and commentators. Jackie Hill Perry is a woman who is single who has been extremely helpful. But one person I particularly want to mention, if you want to look into this more, is a man named Sam Albury. He's written a number of books. One of them is called The Seven Myths of Singleness. He's written a number of things about the church and sexuality. He's an awesome voice 
when it comes to uh, singleness and other aspects of sexuality as a Christian. And so I'm thankful to him uh, in preparation for this sermon. So I want to say right at the outset here, directly to us all, is that to be single, no matter what age you are or stage of life that you may be, does not make you a second-class citizen. We're all equal, all of us. No hierarchy in that regard. A single person is not fundamentally lacking something. A single person does not lack fulfillment or cannot reach fulfillment unless they are married. A single person should not be viewed as someone who is in the waiting room, waiting for life to begin once they get married, or as some kind of indication of their maturity. Being married or single does not contribute to those things. Now, our society in some ways hasn't been helpful in this regard because for us as Christians, when we talk about being single, we're also talking about being celibate. We're talking about being sexually inactive, not theoretically being able to play the field or anything like that, which is different to some of the kinds of singleness that our secular friends enjoy. And so for Christian singleness, for our society at large, it can seem laughable at best, harmful at worst. Like you just think about the movies that happened. There was one you know, a little while ago now about 40-year-old virgin. Like that movie, just by its title when you watch it, it's a comedy. It's putting down those who are single and virgin, making a, a laughing stock out of it. You just take any rom-com, almost any rom-com, And it starts with some single person, generally boy meets girl, they fall in love, complication, get back together. And in some way, shape or form, the person is happier now that they're together with this other person. All screams to us that marriage is better and singleness is not. Now that should not be the case. The church too, sadly, has a bit of a reputation of doing a very similar thing. Unfortunately, without meaning to perhaps, or without malice or ill intent, Sometimes just by circumstance, we can present that oh, by a certain age, you should be married. Now, let me share just a couple of stories. They are not from people from this church. They're actually Sam Aubrey's stories. And I won't share the ones that I've heard from here because that would probably be unhelpful. But similar things. You may resonate with them. So Sam went to a wedding, as he does, celebrates his friends getting married. And there was a man in front of him. He turned around and said, oh, hi, Sam. Nice to see you. Are you still single? And Sam replied, yeah, are you still married? And the guy said, yes. So Sam said, good. So we're both happy. And so they moved on. He also tells another story of running into someone that he hadn't seen for 10 years. Um, He said, hey, great to see you. How are you going? Um, They chatted for a little bit. Uh, man, I haven't seen your kids in ages. It's probably been at least 10 years. What are the, last time I saw them, they were teenagers. They must be in their mid-20s now. What are they up to? To which she replied, Oh, yes, uh, my first one's got married. The second one's engaged, so they're both sorted. You put yourself in Sam's shoes at that moment. Is Sam unsorted? Does he have to sort of kind of tie some loose strings together that then he can be married and suddenly a sorted person. We can do similar things like that, and that's unhelpful, even if they're with good intent. Now, I officiated a wedding yesterday. I'm not against marriage in any way, shape, or form. I officiated a wedding yesterday of Reno and Candace, who we announced. 
And in that wedding, as in the case of all the weddings that I do, which is not many, but when I do them, um, I always have this line which says, marriage is not the epitome for the Christian, for both marriage and singleness point to the greatest day, where there is no giving or receiving in marriage. Like, of course marriage is good. Paul, myself, we're not putting down uh, marriage. It comes with the joys, it comes with its own trials and tribulations. Marriage, too, is a good gift from God. It's established before the fall. What's going on in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is that both marriage and singleness are held up as good. Both are held up as good and godly ways to live. And so what this passage does for us is it gives us a positive vision of singleness. A positive vision. Because often we can get caught in the trap of defining singleness in what it isn't rather than what it is. So as we explore this passage, we're going to look at how it is that God places us in certain circumstances, what that can look like, how singleness is a gift, and therefore how we can embrace the goodness of being single. So cast your eye back over the passage and we'll explore what it is that God has to say to us. So so far in chapter 7, Paul, as we know, he's addressing certain issues that are going on in the Corinthian church. In this case, so far he's addressed sex within marriage, marriage and divorce, remarriage. And in the verses 17 to 24, which we've somewhat skipped over, Paul talks about remaining as you were called. So when you become a Christian, remain as you are, unless there's some kind of terrible circumstance, he particularly points to slavery. If you can move out of those unhelpful, bad, ungodly things, then do so. Otherwise, remain in the state that you are. And then he directly applies it to singleness. Now, when you read verses 25, it says now about the virgins. We, don't really, we know what that means, but he's just saying to people who are single. That's what he's talking about. Now, as Paul begins to talk about singleness, uh, he starts with putting it in its right context. In the first six verses, verses 25 through to 31, he encourages Christians, whether they're single or married, to remain as they are, for the world in its present form is passing away. Now, verse 26, he says that there's this present crisis going on. Uh, Because of the present crisis, I think it's good for a man to remain as he is. Now, honestly, this is a, a tricky thing to actually understand what Paul is talking about. Presumably, when the Corinthians read it, they knew exactly what Paul was referring to. The commentators are a bit divided. There's a bit of conversation around, was there a famine and some intense persecution that was going on at the time? There's some good evidence for that. Uh, And there's also some discussion about that's not the case at all. In a sense, if it is really particular, and it is just an isolated present crisis, then whatever Paul has to say can only be applied to the Corinthians, and we can only draw back and draw some principle. However, the way that Paul then describes it in verses Uh, 29 through to 31, when he says, "Um, what I mean, brothers, is this, that the time is short. Uh, We see that Paul is talking about things that can apply to any time and to any circumstance. Just hold that thought and we'll come back to when we look at those verses in a second. Because as we look at verses 27 to 28, if you read it again, Paul basically says, if you stay single, great. If you get married, great. Neither have sinned. It depends on the situation of the person. Neither option is against God. Now, that's helpful to know. 
That's good to know. Neither option, to, sin, to be single or to be married, is sinful. The church, throughout its history and some different traditions, uh, even in our own time, have exalted singleness uh, or have exalted marriage at the expense of the other. And Paul is saying that, that is not the case. His encouragement, though, when we look at verses 29 to 31, is to think beyond the immediate context of the here and now. Now, he says it in a somewhat confusing way. If you read again verses 29 with me again, he says, What I mean, brothers and sisters, is the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as they do not, those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it was not theirs to keep, those who use the things of this world as, not, as if not engrossed in them. Why? Because the things of this world in its present form are passing away. He used five illustrations there. He spoke about marriage and then mourning, rejoicing, purchasing business. He's covering all these kind of different aspects of life. And he's saying whatever you're experiencing in life, it's passing away. Why? Because Jesus has come once and he will come again. Where there's a renewal of the world, all the new heavens and a new earth. So he's encouraging the Christians here and encouraging us, have that mindset. Have the mindset that Christ is going to return. The things of this world will pass away. Have that sense that the, the urgency to serve the Lord because he will return. And when he returns, there'll be no more possibility to reach anybody for Jesus at that point. There'll be no more possibility to grow into maturity. So the primary thrust of what Paul is communicating and saying here is live with that mindset. Be content in whatever situation you find yourself. Live for and serve him wholeheartedly because the things of the world are passing away. Another way of saying this is bloom where you're planted. In my house, my mum had a nice patchwork quilt and it said that, bloom where you are planted. And that's a good understanding of what Paul is saying here. Whatever season of life you find yourself in, serve the Lord. Serve him faithfully. Have the mindset that Christ will return and live for the things of this world in that light. It might be small, it might be great, it doesn't matter. Bloom where you are planted, where God has placed you and where his sovereign hand has you in this moment of your life. With all that in mind, and not living for the things of the world, he then applies it directly to singleness. In verses 32 to 35, we see that singleness is a gift. He talks about singleness as a gift. There's God's blessing and, single, uh, God's blessing and goodness there. Now, this section is not the first time Paul has spoken about singleness. He refers to it in verse 7, which says, I wish that all of you were as I am. But each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift and another has that. And then he goes on to say, and I'm not married. Now, our immediate thought when we hear gift of singleness or gift of any kind is we think we're reading 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it's the spiritual gifts where the Holy Spirit deposits and then works through us with spiritual gifts of some way, shape or form. However, when Paul is writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he's not talking about some spiritual superpower to be single. Not some spiritual superpower to be content in the singleness of life that's only available to a select few who perhaps are content or want singleness. Like we wouldn't say about someone who's married, you have the gift of marriage, right? We 
We wouldn't say that. And that's similar to what Paul is doing here. Rather, Paul is teaching that whatever circumstance you are in life, that is God's gift to you. The circumstance. If you're married, then because God is sovereign, he's given you the gift of marriage. If you are single, then you'll be given the gift of singleness. It may not be forever, vice versa. Um, whatever the case is, it is a gift of God for the benefit of others and also to be enjoyed. Now, I know that if you are single, and I've heard this from a number of people, when you hear that, it's grating. And I, I hear that with you. Um, just because it's a gift, I recognize that it might not be easy. Singleness can be hard. In the same that marriage can be hard. But I need to encourage myself, and I think God's word is encouraging us all, is that when we have those thoughts, remind yourself that if it is God's gift and God is good, then the gift is good. doesn't mean we might like it. It might not mean something that we, we want, but we trust God whenever, whatever situation that we're in. And then Paul talks about two ways that singleness can be a gift as he moves on. The first one is that it relieves a person of the anxieties of married life. And then the second one is that it allows a person to have less competition in their devotion to the Lord. Now, verse 28, which is we skipped over it before, Paul said, for those who are married, they'll face many troubles in this life. I want to spare you of this. Thanks, Paul. Very kind. Spare us of those troubles. But that's what he says. There's troubles in life for the married people. And then he explains it a bit more in verse 32 and on. He says, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. The world in this case is not like sinful things. It's just the stuff that goes on in life. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. The beautiful thing there is there's mutuality between the husband and the wife. They're both seeking to please the other person, just as a, a passing comment. But Paul is he's saying that married life has a necessary complexity to it. In married life, and for those that have children, they're pulled in multiple directions. Now, that's not to suggest that someone who is single does not have competing factors that go on in their life. It's not to say that um, the friendships that you have definitely require work and investment and sacrifice, family, work. All these things have costs. Right? We want to invest in those things. It will take some element of sacrifice, and there is a complexity to it. Right? Singleness is not cocktails on the beach and marriage trauma and trials and pain and complexity. He's not saying that. But he is saying that there is a complexity and, in a sense, a simplicity in allowing us to serve the Lord. Now, let me give you this somewhat silly uh, but real example from my life. So I'm married. I have three kids. And so sometimes to get out of the house is a monumental task. To get out of the house, we need to get them dressed, breakfasted, clothes on, shoes on, hair done, teeth brushed. We get all that done. By that time, Elise at the front door, she's ready to go. Belle has got to the front door, realized she wants her baby for the day, then ran off to find her baby. We've packed the bags, so then we help Belle find the baby. By the time we've helped Belle find the baby, Ezra has unpacked the bag. Aaliyah needs to go to the toilet. We help Aaliyah go to the toilet. Then we unpack, we pack the bag up. Ezra's crying. By the time we get out of the house, it's like hours later. 
it can be hard, complex. Uh, and that's not a bad thing. Paul in 1, Corinthians, in 1 Timothy chapter 5 says, you've got to love your family. Care for them in the mundane things of life. Then there's the kind of standard things that go along with marriage and caring for your spouse, whatever that means, and for your children. That means for me, there is challenges and certain ministries that are very hard for me to do. Now, I've been called out of my work at Lippman in order to be able to service here as a pastor. Um, I don't do that job at Lippman because us as the church have said, no, we want pastors to love us and care for us and teach us God's word and all these kind of things. And so I don't work there anymore, so I have capacity to serve. But put that aside, there is difficulties that I have. And for my wife, Elizabeth, she can't just drop what she does in life uh, and her, our family in order to care for people at the drop of a hat. Or it will come at exceptional cost to us as a family. For those of us who are single, and I recognize again that this is hard to hear, but there is a capacity and a potential flexibility that you have to serve others in a way that married people don't have. And friends, that is a good thing. That is something that should be celebrated. It is a gift from God. A gift that is given in order for us to bless others for the common good. And for you to experience the joy that goes along with that. And then Paul gets to his central point of the passage, which is in verse 35. He's saying, I'm saying this for your own good. Not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way, in undivided devotion to the Lord. Both women and men, single and married people, we all need to recognize that we need to have undivided devotion to the Lord. But whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, there's going to be advantages and disadvantages, complexities and perhaps simplicities that go along with that. And we need to find out what it looks like for us to live that undivided devotion to the Lord. That's our goal. That's our calling for the glory of God, for the good of society and for our good. And so that means for, those, for some of us, to be single may be the best way for us to serve the Lord and others. That may be the best way to have undivided devotion to the Lord. Now, that's not a command from me or necessarily from the Scriptures either, but it's a principle that we can see and apply. When you apply that to whatever situation that you have, seek prayer and counsel with one another. Trust in the Lord Jesus. But for all of us, whatever situation we find ourselves in, we need to serve the Lord in whatever circumstance, whatever ability uh, we have. I'll give an example of a woman uh, who had incredible faithfulness. Her name was Helen Rosevere. Uh, you may be familiar with her. Uh, she's on the screen there. She lived until 2016. She was a single woman from the UK. And in her mid-20s, uh, she'd given her life to the Lord and she decided to go overseas uh, to serve in the region of the Congo in Africa. She did some medical training in order to serve the people over there with medicine. She went over to love and care and share Christ with them. She's built, well, she didn't build them, but organized the construction of hospitals and some clinics, um, maternity unit there. And after several years, she returned to the UK for furlough. And at that point, uh, in, in between, uh, she met a young English doctor and a romance developed. Helen considered settling down into a married life. Yet in her words, she, the Lord impressed upon her that she should remain single. And that was the last thing that she wanted to do. 
Then after a profound struggle with the Lord, she accepted the divine call, and in 1960 she went returned to the Congo and encountered some terrible, horrific things, but did some awesome work. Uh, well, the Lord did some awesome work through her. Now, if she was married, of course she could have done that. It would have looked different. But in her signalness, she was able to demonstrate the undivided devotion to the Lord. She did it in her life, and then as she was a speaker, um, both in the UK and in other parts of the world, she was a speaker at KUC uh, on a number of occasions, encouraging to many people. Like another person is Emily, who we have sent from here, sent from our church to do gospel work across the globe, now in North Africa. She heard the Lord's call. She followed him, followed her, his call there as a single woman. She used that gift and whatever other spiritual gifts she was given and the capacity she had to serve. Now, in her season of her life, her circumstances changed. She just got married last weekend or weekend before. And so now she will continue to serve the Lord, but it will be in a different way. Friends, whatever season of life you're in, serve the Lord. And for some of us, it will mean going overseas. All of us, it means becoming alongsiders to whoever that we come across in our life. All of us serve the Lord by serving other people. We don't, if you're a single, you do not need to wait till you're married in order to serve. In a sense, don't waste your singleness. We can serve the Lord whether we are single or married. It's going to look different. Then Paul moves on into the final section of uh, this chapter here. And he gets very practical on the question... Should I remain single or should I marry? To be single or not to be? And so if you have a look over verses 36 to 38, he says, if anyone's worried that he might be acting unhonorably toward the virgin, and you could use this interchangeably between men and women, if his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He's not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion, and has control over his own will, and has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man does the right thing. So then, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. One commentator, Gardner, says, Paul's goal is that each person should understand they need to have undivided devotion to the Lord, and should use that in order to guide the decisions that they make, and have that stance and how it benefits the church. So how should you decide whether to be single or not? There is no silver bullet. There's no like direct answer to that question. Perhaps it may be right, perhaps it may be not so. So how should we ask? We should ask ourselves whatever or if and when we have the opportunity to change our circumstance, how will it benefit or how will it hinder our devotion to the Lord and therefore others? How will it benefit or how is it going to hinder our devotion to the Lord? We don't make decisions on what's best for you as an individual, you and you alone. It's not undivided devotion to you. It's undivided devotion to the Lord and therefore others. We seek first his kingdom. As Christians, we put the Lord first and therefore we love people. We love both those outside the church and we especially care for those inside. And that is to be the glasses that we put on as we make whatever decision in life. In this case, it's regarding relationships, but it goes to any situation uh, that we make in life. 
So friends, what I hope that we really hear from this passage is that there is good in singleness. There is good in singleness. And we should and can embrace the season if that is our situation. Now, of course, if you're single now, that might not mean that you're single later in life, and it may mean that you're single again. Perhaps you'll move from one gift to the other, one circumstance to the other. But if that is the case, if you become married, that doesn't suddenly mean that your life is going to be fixed. It will not fix your problems. It doesn't mean that that person is more mature in Christ. Some of the single people are far, far more mature than those who are married. Right? We see that. Marriage does not have an impact on our maturity in that sense. So please, let's not make each other feel inferior in some way, shape, or form due to whatever relationship status we have. I came across this quote from a woman named Paige Benton Brown. I think it's an awesome quote. She said, I'm not single because I'm too spiritually unstable to deserve a husband or too spiritually mature to need one. I'm single because God is good and this is his best for me. That is a beautiful way to think about what it means to be, in her case, a woman of God in her season of life. It's God's best for her. Assurance and confidence in who God is. Another aspect of the goodness and singleness of marriage is that they both point to the gospel. In some way, differently, they both point to the gospel. And Sam Warbury has this awesome quote which summarizes it well. Marriage points to the shape of the gospel and singleness to its sufficiency. So friends, if you're married, then you have an opportunity in your marriage to point to the shape of the gospel, to how Christ laid down his life for his wife, how Christ laid his life down for the church. Self-sacrificial, and that is how the husband is to care for his wife. And the marriage should demonstrate that element of the gospel. And if you're single, you have an opportunity to talk to the sufficiency of Christ, how all things are in him. Because when a Christian who is single shows that Christ is truly enough, that they've reserved their sexuality for a future marriage or abstained to the resurrection, they are a walking billboard that says Christ is enough. And they can do it in a way that marriage cannot a married person cannot do that in the same way that a single person can. And for a world that is obsessed with sexuality and relationships and having, like, making idols out of those things, it is a beautiful demonstration of the sufficiency of Christ uh, when we do that in his strength. And now it's not said in this passage, but perhaps the greatest evidence for the reason of singleness being good is the Lord Jesus himself. Jesus was single. Jesus did not have sex. Jesus was the most complete. Jesus was the most fulfilled. He was the perfect human. We would never suggest for Jesus to retain some kind of greater perfection. He needed to get married. We would never suggest that. Do not suggest that of a brother or sister, please. That would certainly be not very Jesus-like. So friends, marriage and singleness both can be good. So instead of chasing the relationships and our own desires um, that we have, we have to have an undivided devotion to the Lord. Again, I recognize that that could be hard. 
So friends, gather alongside one another. Share your hopes, your desires, your dreams, your idols. Come, do life with one another. And as we try and become more in the likeness of Jesus, uh, there's, in the Young Adults Bible studies we're going through, um, this series called Gospel and Life, we looked at idolatry uh, this week, and there's a quote by Tim Keller, who also went to be with the Lord uh, this week, uh, but he had this quote which says, If you really want to change, Jesus Christ must become your overmastering positive passion. Jesus Christ must become your overarching and positive passion. When, he, when you desire him above all things, everything else will fall into place. That's his promise. Not necessarily that everything in this life will be good and happy. We'll be living for Jesus. We'll have to pick up our cross and follow him each day. But he will get the glory. We'll see his kingdom grow because it'll be his power and strength. And we will get the joy. When we put all things uh, into that perspective, it all falls into place. And that's so much easier said than done. I hear that. I need help in living that out in my life. But when he is our positive passion, we'll be honouring to God and we'll also therefore be honouring to our brothers and sisters and to the world around us. For those of us who are single, it is a gift from God. Or you have an opportunity to serve in the same way the married people have an opportunity to serve, but it will just look different. Embrace the season of life that you're currently in. It may change Christ may return. Embrace the season that you're in. Have that undivided devotion to the Lord. None of us, none of us are in, the, are in the waiting room. We're all called. We're all part of what it means to partner with God and his mission to this world until Jesus comes again. For his glory, the growth of his kingdom, and for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you so much that you sent Jesus and we thank you that he's going to come back again. We thank you that we can ask of you your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And God, we long for you. Uh, There is many aspects of our life which uh, we can delight in and parts that we struggle in. Father, whatever season we are in, uh, whether we are married or single, please help us to have that undivided devotion to you. And Father, I do pray for my sisters and brothers here who are single. Help them to know how loved and valuable they are. Father, help them to continue to serve you with that undivided devotion. And may together us as a church bring great glory to you and may you use us uh, to see your church grow. Help us to also have great compassion and grace uh, to one another and help us to have Jesus as our overarching passion for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen.